Hey, go ahead. If you have your Bible, you can do me a favor. Turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. If you're on a device, you can go to the ESV version and you'll be able to uh, keep in step with us. We're starting the beginning of a four-week series called Reading Scripture Rightly. And um, let me tell you what this is not. This is not going to be sort of a, just sort of an academic step-by-step, one, two, three, four kind of a thing about how we can best and properly read scripture as much as it's about taking some really well-known scripture passages that maybe are familiar to most of us. Maybe we've grown up with them or maybe we didn't even know they were scripture, but they've kind of become sloganized in our society and in our culture and find out what they actually mean, maybe then rather than, other than the meaning that we could be pouring into them that was never intended. And so in a lot of ways, what we want to just try to get a base understanding of over the next four weeks is that scripture was written to have a specific meaning, not the meaning that we pour into it, right? Not the meaning that we think best fits us uh, personally or in our particular context. Now, now scripture is such that it, it meets us exactly where we're at. It's relevant eternally relevant in the, in the sense that it's always speaking to us the words of God which have everything to do with what it is that we're dealing with or what it is that we're facing or the things that we're struggling with or, or the ways that we need to readjust and reposition how we understand God and see the world. But we don't want to read into it just anything that we want that's going to suit how we feel or how we think it's going to best benefit us. When we do that, we can actually get into all kinds of trouble by reading things into scripture that the authors never intended to be read. So that's a little bit of, of, why we're, of what we're going to be doing over the next uh, four weeks. So we're going to start with this uh, passage in Philippians chapter 4. I saw, uh, saw this big mega church uh, recently posted this on Twitter. It said this, reminder, comma, you are enough. That was their post. Reminder, you are enough. And I want to just kind of pause right there because I, I want to give us a moment just to think about that statement. And more specifically, what is wrong with that statement? Reminder, church, you are enough. That's what they tweeted to their church. What's wrong with that statement? as you even think about those words. Maybe you don't see anything wrong with that statement. Reminder, you are enough. And the reason why I wanted to begin here is because like I said a minute ago, Christians are always in danger. The church is always in danger of adopting thoughts and perspectives like that, that sound inspirational, kind of helpful, kind of motivational and even biblical, but in the end are saying the exact opposite of what God has spoken to us in Scripture. I was going to save this until the end, but I really can't wait that long, so let me say it right now, okay? You are not enough. I am not enough. The fact that we default into believing we are enough or that we aspire to believe we are enough, is the reason why Jesus Christ came in the flesh to planet earth. 
He came to be all that we could not and cannot ever be because our sin prevents us from that kind of self-achievement that the world tells us is attainable, but in reality only leaves us frustrated at best and despondent at worst. Does that make sense? And by the way, this is the good news. This is the good news that we preach every week at Substance. The bad news is when slogans like you are enough become what guides and inspires us, when they become sort of your spiritual protein drink in life. So the passage we're going to look at today, if you've already turned there, um, is a famous one if you've spent any time around the church or around Christian culture in general. It's a passage really more often than not, it seems like, that has been used to kind of prop ourselves up as having the strength to conquer whatever might lie before us. It's a passage we use to assume, listen to this, that God's number one goal is for us to achieve our goals. In other words, I've always dreamed of playing in the NBA. I just need to believe that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if I do that, presto, man. LeBron and I are going to be hanging out on the court, going to be kicking it on our luxury yachts together in Los Angeles now, not here. Just want to see what kind of reaction that would cause when I said that. Or if I have life goals or personal records to achieve, then I just need to believe that I can do all things because this verse was written to help me accomplish whatever it is that I set my mind to. But if we take a closer look, which we're going to do, at what Paul is actually saying, we understand that he's talking about this. Being content in whatever situation God places us in. Why? Because Christ will strengthen us to endure through it. Now, Paul meant that dude lived a life. If you read all the letters he wrote, if you read the book of Acts, that guy lived a roller coaster existence. But he was able to somehow remain faithful in all the lowest of lows and all the highest of the highs he experienced because his life was grounded in Christ's victory over death, the gospel. Not in whatever victory he could achieve or he could attain in his life. So a little background as we just dive into this one verse or a couple of verses here in Philippians. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi while being on house arrest in Rome. So he was, he was kind of locked up as he wrote this letter. And he declares his purpose in writing this letter. When we go back to chapter 1, verse 27, this is what he says. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent... I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So if you were to read the book of Philippians, three key themes would emerge in this letter. And they're this, the unity of the church. Paul is constantly talking about the unity of the church. Now we need to stay together. We need to stay grounded in the gospel. He talks about the integrity of the gospel. Don't let the gospel get twisted into something that it's not. So he's pretty fierce on that. He also talks about having steadfastness in the face of opposition. Because why? Because the church faces opposition. Because you all are facing opposition. You're facing it as you leave the building today. You're facing it as you re-enter the world, the workforce, your schools, 
your circle of friends, you're going to re-enter all of that at some point this afternoon. If I would ever finish this sermon, you're going to re-enter that, right? You're going to face opposition. You're going to face things that are telling you something about the gospel that isn't true. You're going to face things from people and from social media and from news outlets that are telling you things about yourself that aren't true based on what we know about ourselves from the gospel. Like it's impossible that you're not going to face those things. I don't care what, I don't care what area of life or sphere of life you're operating in. That is just the reality of, of the world that we live in. So these are the key themes that Paul is going after as he writes this book uh, to the Philippians. And so we get to chapter 4 and Paul shares about God's provision. He shares about how God has provided for him as he faced, faced his own personal adversity, his own opposition. And what he says is surprising to us. So let's pick up chapter 4 and verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What is this secret that Paul learned? Well, it's really simple, actually. He, he kind of says that he's not trying to be clever, to be content in every situation. So what I want to unpack for us here for a few minutes is when our lives become reflective of contentedness in Jesus Christ, what does it lead us to? To operate out of satisfaction out of contentedness, out of a reliance in Jesus, on Jesus Christ for whatever season we find ourselves in. What is that type of gospel-centered contentedness? Man, where does it lead us? Where does having that kind of mindset and heart set, where does it lead us? Well, the first place it leads us to is greater reliance on Christ. And then it leads us to greater rejoicing in Christ which leads us to greater endurance through Christ. The first one we're going to talk about here and unpack is greater reliance on Christ. This is where Paul is going with these verses. He tells us something about the Christian life and he resets what our expectations are supposed to be. Man, do you need your expectations reset? I mean, I do. I don't know how many times I need to be told the same thing. So do you. That's why you come here on Sunday and you are literally told the same thing every week. Do you guys not realize that I'm just telling you and me the same thing every week? It's the same thing. Why? Because we need to reset what we believe is true because it gets twisted when we head out and we face that opposition. So Paul resets expectations for how we think the Christian life should be. He knew how to thrive in a place where he was physically disadvantaged because his resources were limited all the time. He reminds the Philippians that God is the one responsible for allowing him 
even, to be brought to those low places. And then he teaches them that lowness is how he learned contentedness. What Paul understood was that being self-reliant, man, those are dangerous waters for Christians to swim in. But for some reason, because of our flesh, those are comfortable waters for us to swim in. In a, a second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he mentions this thing that happened and he mentions what he calls this thorn in his flesh that was some sort of We're not really told exactly what it is, but it's some sort of nagging physical disease or injury that he had that he prayed to God to be healed of, but he never received any healing for it. Again, remember who Paul is. I mean, responsible for writing, you know, the majority of the New Testament. Somebody who had, who'd been given by God powers to heal people. And this is somebody who prayed and prayed for his own healing, and he never received it. But what he realized was that God allowed this thorn to remain so that he didn't become conceited and that the power of Christ would be what he boasted about instead of any of the the vast abilities or experience that God had blessed him with. Because Paul, you know, I mean, he had done some things. He had seen some things. God had brought him through some things, but he kept this thorn in his flesh so that he didn't become conceited. God brought Paul low so that Paul could raise his hands high and his heart high to Jesus. Paul says, this is what the Lord told me. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So it was more important that Paul retained whatever this this injury was so that he wouldn't become self-reliant but have greater reliance on Christ. Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 6 of Philippians, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then he says in 2, verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Yours and mine, our greatest achievement in life is to be a person who is becoming more sure of the good work God is completing in our lives, whatever season of life that we happen to find ourselves in. You know you're growing in spiritual maturity when you're becoming less self-reliant. So to be content, to learn this secret that Paul talks about, which is contentedness, it leads to greater reliance on God. It also leads to greater rejoicing. Look what he says at the beginning in chapter 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. If you go back to chapter 3 verse 1, Paul says, finally my brothers rejoice in the Lord. And then in chapter 4 verse 4 he says, rejoice in the Lord always again I will say rejoice. So there was something about this place of contentedness that Paul was in that allowed for not only greater reliance in Christ, but also greater rejoicing in Christ. To be able to look and see all that God was doing, that he was doing a work that hasn't gotten to completion yet, but trusting that whatever season we're in, there is some reason that maybe we can't explain, that Paul couldn't explain 
that allows him to go, God, you are God and I am not. And because of that, I'm going to open up my heart in rejoicing toward you, for you. It led to greater rejoicing. Remember in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 16, um, this amazing story about Paul and his buddy Silas. They were put into prison for preaching the gospel and they began singing hymns together. And I just think, oh my gosh. I mean, I complain so much. There's no way on earth I'd be sitting in that jail singing hymns with my buddy, right? You can ask my wife. She'll confirm that for you right now. There's no hymns, right? There's no hymns coming out of my lips. There is, oh Lord, why have you brought me to this place? Paul and Silas, they sing hymns together. By the way, it wasn't a denial of their situation. They knew where they were. It was a determination to focus on the faithfulness of God, which doesn't change when everything around you might cause you to think that it is. Acts 16 doesn't tell us all the facial expressions that maybe Paul and Silas had during this hymn sing. Let's think about that. It doesn't say they were smiling ear to ear as they you know, broke into the final chorus of oceans or whatever, right? It's, it's not, it doesn't tell us that. It says they were singing hymns to God together and that the jail heard them. It doesn't say those songs weren't sung out of pain. It doesn't deny the situation that they were in. It says that they expressed themselves in a way that acknowledged God was in it, right? And this is where our imaginations help us because we can only imagine the anxiety that these brothers were facing as they opened their mouths to sing. They're facing possible execution. Where did this strength to trust God with this level of anxiety hanging over them come from? Where does that come from? It came through Christ who strengthened them in all things. Paul's goal was not to be enough. It was to gain something so much more than personal achievement. You know what personal achievement was in that moment? Not dying. That was personal achievement. If you go to chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, Paul says of Philippians, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. It was that perspective. It was that sense of, hey man, I know where I am. I know what could happen to me. I know I'm filled with anxiety, but I also know who hasn't abandoned me. I also know what I don't no, I also know that even in a situation like this, I can remember to praise God because he's not less God because I am in a situation that's less than desirable. Do you see how much better it is that Paul's story was not an invitation to flex and to show the world that it can't keep you down if you just sing hard enough? I mean, man, I don't know if my faith will ever reach the heights of Paul's. I assume that it won't. But he ended up in prison, not achieving his best personal record for a 
10K he'd been training for, right? The world will tell you that the purpose of strength, strength of mind or strength of muscle is for you to achieve your potential. And you know what? God does give us those strengths too. He's responsible for everything. But what about when those strengths dry up? What if someone or something removes those strengths? Where will your heart be in those moments? Lying in ruins or rejoicing in the ruins with a strength not of your own? Paul says in verse 12 that he has learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, of abundance and need. Man, the secret, it just sounds like some gimmicky Christian book on the bestseller list. I think it was a gimmicky Christian book on the bestseller. You guys are all quiet because you all read it and you're afraid to like mention that right now. I think it, I think it actually was. I think there was a book called The Secret that none of us should probably read. Um, but it's interesting that he said the word secret, right? But it's only a secret because we're so prone to believing lies about ourselves and about God. What he says in verse 13 is shockingly simple when he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So the all things that Paul is talking about here have to do with endurance. Not becoming a, a millionaire before the age of 50. I, I miss that one, right? It has to do with resilience. Not in pushing past all the haters so you can realize your dreams. Because like he did with Paul, God is going to put you through a variety of situations that will move between blessings and burdens for the rest of your life. You'll be experiencing the tension of that the rest of your life. And by the way, God doesn't do that because he's arbitrary or because he's moody or because he's this cosmic control freak. But it's because he's a father who loves his children and allows them to experience things that draw them more deeply toward his love, toward his care, toward his character. Listen, is it more important to realize your dreams or to realize how much God loves and cares for you if your dreams never materialize? Paul is leading us to a better way. It's a better way. He encourages us in chapter 4, verse 6. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If the message that you live by, if the message that I live by is that you are enough, then you will be the one responsible to carry the full load of your anxiety. Instead of receiving the surpassing peace that keeps you guarded in Christ because it's not yours to carry. You can't carry it. That's why this message is so encouraging to us from Paul. How much better is this verse that leads us towards greater contentment? How much better is it to read this verse 
and be reminded that through Christ you will have the same endurance he had as he journeyed to the cross and suffered for your sake. How much better than thinking the meaning of this verse is to achieve your personal best, to conquer all your demons and not let anyone stop you from living out your dreams. How much better that it's not about that. And listen, some of those things aren't bad in and of themselves. God gives us gifts and talents that lead to pursuits that, man, we should go hard after. So this isn't a verse just saying, well, just step back and don't pursue those things that God has given you to pursue. The question is this, what should you pray? The question is, what should you pray? Paul says, pray that you can endure with contentment whether the dreams and achievements happen or not. Man, I'm so tired of leaning into my own strength. I'm exhausted trying to be self-reliant. Are you tired of those things like I am? If you're tired like I am, why are you tired? Why are you tired? Because you're not enough. That's why. But you can achieve contentment when Jesus becomes your strength to endure in times of abundance and in times of need. This is the greater achievement because life with Jesus will always be your greatest satisfaction. And so that's why when we read a verse that says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, we need to ask, what are the all things that Christ is calling us to do and to be, when all the chips are down, nothing seems to be going right. We can't see our future. People have betrayed us. People have disappointed us. Things have collapsed. Events have transpired. What's the better verse for our lives? It's I can do all things. I can endure all things. I can be content in all things. I can rejoice through all things, through him who strengthens me. Because praise God, I am not enough. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are not enough. We're here because we're not enough, because we need to come to you. We need to be reminded of your love and your grace and your care for us. And Lord, that is what gives us our strength, being reminded that we need a strength that's not our own, that just comes to such a quick end. Even the strongest among us get tired. Everybody goes to bed at night because we don't have unending strength. So Lord, we thank you for this beautiful word from Paul that you wrote through him so that we might know what it is to be content and to endure and to see how foolish self-reliance actually is. So Lord, we rejoice in you because of that. We pray that you would make this real to us this week 
as we walk away, as we're reminded of these verses, Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would, Lord, be our hope this week. Lord, supply us once again with your comfort, with a peace that passes understanding. You know where everybody's at in this room. You know the trials that they're going to face this week. You know everything that we don't know. And so, Lord, we just rely on you. And Lord, we thank you that you're good in that you allow us to even face things that will increase our faith, increase our reliance, increase our rejoicing, increase our endurance. Because when we are weak, we are strong. Because weak people go to you and hang on you like a child hangs off of a parent to carry them wherever they need to go because they don't have it in them, Lord. That's us. That's the model for us. And I pray that we would do that this week with all of our, with all of our might. So God, give us, give us your strength as we consider our lives and as we face what's so difficult to have in this life, which is contentment, which is looking around and seeing that we are where you have us. So God, continue to show us the face of Jesus this week as we put our hope and our trust in you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.